So um, we can all relax because that would not be as enjoyable. Um, but today's speaker is Becca Underwood, and she is an incredible, godly uh, wife and mother who I've had the privilege of getting to know the last couple of years. Um, so I think we're all going to enjoy hearing from her. Um, but her husband is Nick, and they have six beautiful children, um, and they homeschool their children. So she's a very busy mama. Um, but And she's also the, I left my notes, the Cape County coordinator for Care Portal, which is an incredible ministry that... Uh, which is how we know each other, um, but it connects churches to, um, Becca, you can explain it better, so she'll explain it better, but it connects churches to those who are um, in families who are in need and in crisis, and so she can, I'm sure you'll hear more about that, but um, uh, Becca can come on up and I'll pray for her as uh, she comes up. God, I just thank you so much for um, for Becca and just um, God, for her relationship with you, God, and how she is a light to so many around her. And um, God, I pray that you would um, just give her peace and strength this morning and be with her voice, God, as she speaks, that you would strengthen her. And um, God, I pray that you would just uh, allow all of us to, um, to have open hearts to hear what you would have us to hear this morning. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I don't know. I think um, Becca Moore may we would do a better job. So we'll give it. My throat is kind of iffy today, so I'm really hoping I can hold out for 25, 20 minutes. So um, just bear with me. Um, like she said, Nick and I, my husband Nick and I, have been married for 17 years. We have six kids. Our daughters are 15, almost driving. Um, Bailey and Cabana are our girls, and then I have four boys. One will be 14 next week, Noah. Then Natty is 12, Luke is 10, and Roman is 9. And I always laugh because we're in birthday season, so I get that wrong because they, you know, one birth. We have birthday seasons at our house. We have groupings of three months and three months. So right now we're in the middle of birthday season, so ages are changing frequently. Um, so when Becca called and she, or when she shared the topic with me, how I found my fire. The first thing that really started running through my mind was the song by Big, Bat, Big Daddy Weave. I don't know if you've heard it, but if, if, you told my, if I told you my stories, you know, the, and the line that kept coming back to me is if, if I should speak, let it be of justice and mercy when mercy wins and the kindness of Jesus that draws you in. And that's, that's really my prayer this morning is that a lot of Care Portal is about justice and mercy. So I pray that this morning that it's not about my story, it's not about me, but it's about Jesus, and it's about mercy, and it's about justice, and what that looks like, and um, how I'm learning what that looks like in my life. So I started praying about, like, what, what should I specifically share, because that's a big topic, and honestly, my first thought was, what is my fire? What is my passion? Have, have I even found it for sure? <laughs> like, do they have the right person here? Um, but God really just started showing me exactly kind of where he wanted me to take that, and the same day, my Advent devotional was in Exodus, and so it was a Christmas devotional, but it was about Moses, and it was about the burning bush, so, <laughs> I mean, it was just kind of one of those, like, moments where, like, really, who reads about Moses when you're reading about the Christmas story on the same day that she calls and shares the topic? So it just, it was enough to catch my attention, and I started really kind of paying attention to that story with new eyes, and I started looking at, like, what was Moses doing? He was out doing everyday normal activity that he wasn't doing anything special at the time and God showed up 
And what was his response? He listened, and then he obeyed. He didn't do it perfectly. He didn't do it every, it wasn't this perfect um, example, but he obeyed. And that's kind of what I want to talk about today. I mean, that's, that's where I feel like my, how I found my fire, what excites me, what I'm passionate about, is just little steps of obedience that definitely not perfectly, I mean, definitely not perfectly. But one of my very favorite verses, it's on the sheet that they passed out, is in Second Chronicles, and it says, the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. I don't know about you, but that verse gives me so much hope that God's not looking for someone who's got it all together. He's not looking for someone who can just do everything perfect. He's just looking for somebody who says, hey, my heart's committed to you. My heart's fully committed to you. And that's been my prayer for my life. Um, just God, help me to see the areas where I'm not fully committed to you. I want to be committed to you. Today, I don't feel like being committed to you, but I want to feel like being committed to you. Those are my prayers. And God's faithful. He starts to show up in ways that you don't expect. So as I started kind of praying through that and thinking about that, I felt like I was just saying, share your story. That, that's how you found your, your life. That's how you found your fire. That's what I want you to share. So that's what I'm going to do. Um, so I'm going to back up to when I was growing up, and I promise I'm not going to go through every detail in my life, I, but this does tie in. When I was growing up, my dad was military, and I moved a lot. Um, between, I wrote it down because I knew I would forget exactly how many. Between kindergarten and 12th grade, I attended eight different schools and lived in nine different homes that I can remember. Um, there were more, but when it was when I was younger, and I lived in three different states. So that really shaped my personality. I learned to be the new girl. I learned to get interact with a lot of people. I learned to, you know, form friendships and then move on. I, but I still maintain those friendships. I have friends today that I can tell you where I met them because I know what grade I was in. Like, so I know what city I lived in at the time. So that was a big part of forming my personality is just learning to adjust to that and learning to adapt to that and being able to talk to people easily. Um, so then fast forward to college, and I promise this will all tie together. I was pursuing a degree in audiology at the time, and I was the only one in my undergrad class who was interested in audiology. Everybody else was interested in speech pathology. So again, I kind of was doing my own thing, but in a group of like, it was a really fun class. I let my graduating class, Kelly Snyder, for those who are Kate Bible Chapel girls, we were undergrad together. She was speech path. So we, you know, I loved it, but I was okay doing my own thing. Um, so a lady that I, I, that I didn't know at all, um, my mom knew her, she just made the comment to me one day, just, uh, I mean, just in passing. This was not somebody who had influence in my life, not somebody I went to for guidance. Not that I, she was a bad person, but I just didn't know her. She made the comment, she's like, have you ever thought about deaf education? I was like, no, I haven't thought about deaf education. I didn't actually know it was a career option, so I haven't thought about it. So I started doing some research, and I quickly thought, you know, hey, this is really something I think I would enjoy. It has the audiology. It has the um, working with kids. So I kind of shifted routes in the middle of undergrad, and when I graduated from with my undergrad, I applied to WashU to their deaf education program. I was accepted based on a five-second conversation with a pretty much stranger. I didn't know at the time that was God. I mean, at the time, I was just like, oh, I'm glad she suggested that. 
So we got married, my husband and I got married, moved to St. Louis, and I spent the next two years spending time studying language and teaching language to kids when learning language was difficult. At that time, I had no idea that God was going to use that degree in a very different way than I had ever imagined. I'm going to put this bell down because I talk with my hands. I'm afraid I'm going to knock it over. So, um, so jump forward to 2010. promise I wasn't going to go through everything. At that time, I was homeschooling. I had four kids. And again, I wrote this down because I don't remember exactly how old kids were in 2010. Bailey was six. Noah was four. Luke was a year and a half in he was a handful at a year and a half, more than any of my other ones, and I had a newborn baby. He was born in November. He was born premature. He was born with some significant health issues at the time, and he was scheduled to have kidney surgery about two weeks late in the you coming up. So it's so funny to say this out loud because it really sounds crazy. So I'm holding this baby, and I've been having these thoughts about adopting. And I was like, that, this is nuts. This is absolutely nuts. I mean, my husband and I never talked about adopting. It wasn't on our plan. We weren't that family who said, one day we will. That wasn't us. I'd actually said, I, actually, I mean, it's funny that I'm standing here saying this because I can remember um, there was a, when I was in MOPS, there was a lady who was sitting at my table, and she shared a picture of her soon-to-be daughter that she was adopting. And I remember thinking, that's great. That's wonderful. I could never do that. I wouldn't want to do that. Like that, I remember I was happy for her, but it wasn't for me. So I started having these thoughts about adopting, and they weren't really positive thoughts. It was just, but it just kept coming back to me and coming back to me. So I get looking back, it's that reminder out of Isaiah where God's ways are not our ways, and his thoughts are not our thoughts, and his plans are not our plans. That was me. This was not my plan. It did not make sense on paper, but I couldn't get rid of that thought. So my plan was, I'm going to mention it to my husband. He's going to tell me I'm nuts, and we're going to move on, and I've done what I'm supposed to do. That was my plan. So I'm nursing a newborn baby, and even just saying that, I'm nursing a baby, and I kind of blurt out to my husband, and like I said, we've never had this conversation before. I feel like God's telling us we should adopt. I think we should consider it. That's not what I'm really feeling. That's just what I know I'm supposed to be saying. So he gets really quiet and just looks at me for a really long time. And I was waiting for the, you are nuts, answer. And what he said was, I can't think of one unselfish reason not to. So I jumped up and gave him a list of reasons why we weren't supposed to adopt. Because I'd had time to think about it. I gave him every reason. And... So, I mean, but that kind of started the ball rolling, that maybe this was really what God was telling us to do. So I called a friend who had adopted, and I just kind of said, hey, here's where we're at. And she's probably thinking the same thing I was thinking. You have four kids, six and under. This is not the time to adopt. And she said, she really gently, very nicely said, I think you should take some time and pray about it. And instantly, I just felt the God was saying to me, if you say, I'm just going to take time and pray about it, you're choosing disobedience. I've told you what to do. So it was that moment of like, okay, what are we going to do with this? So we knew nothing about adoption, nothing. So I started researching, and I had, I found a list of open countries. I know more now where maybe I could have done this differently, 
or I would have made different decisions, but this was not, this is what I needed to know at the time. So I had one requirement. I don't know what that is. <laughs> I had one requirement for myself. I did not want to have to travel, and this was coming from a mom holding a newborn baby who's sick at this time. So I didn't want to have to travel. And so I started looking through the list of countries. The only country that would accept us that I found that was available to us was Ethiopia. They did not, at that time, they did not require a trip. You could have somebody bring your kid home. It just made sense on paper. Didn't really, I mean, I know it sounds so silly now. But at the time, and there were other countries that were open, but having four biological kids knocked you out of the picture. Some countries say you cannot have more than two children in your home. There were all these rules, so I didn't know that. So based on my one requirement in the list of country requirements, Ethiopia was the country that we chose. Um, I still was pretty adamant I wasn't going to go to Ethiopia. Um, my husband said we can't adopt children from a country that we aren't willing to go and visit, at least. And I, I said I'm not willing to leave my kids. I had never, you know, they'd stay with my mom maybe a night, but I'd never left my kids. So um, we started that process to adopt by jumping in totally blind. I could talk for days on that process and how God just reaffirmed over and over and over again that this was his call for us, this was his will for us. But the one thing that really stands out about that period of time was I started to really have a burden in my heart for the children, and not only for the children of adoption, but for their families. Every story of adoption comes from great loss. Um, it always comes from a place of deep pain. Not that God can't restore that and they can't redeem that and they can't be beautiful, but without deep, deep pain and deep loss, there's not adoption. So my heart began to break just for whoever my future child was, their family. They were going to lose their culture. They were going to lose their language. They were going to lose their history, their ties. I just, you know, God just really started to make my heart sensitive to that. And it wasn't an overnight thing. It was just throughout, throughout a process of time, I slowly began to really just have a burden for children and families. So ironically, because God does have a sense of humor, Soon after we committed to Ethiopia and we really started the process, Ethiopia changed the requirements for travel. You didn't have to go one time, you had to go twice. And at this point, I knew, we both knew, my husband and I both knew this was what God had called us to do. Like there wasn't backing out at this point. But I truly believe if we hadn't signed up when, this was probably, we decided in January and it was probably March or April. It wasn't, it was just a few months later. If we had not made that decision to start the adoption process in January, I really believe I would have missed what we have now because I would have said no. Um, so that's just an example of his timing. It didn't make sense to me, but looking back, I see why it had to be at that time. And my daughter didn't come home for two years, so it wasn't, it was a long process. So um, I stand here today, I've been to Ethiopia six times. I can't wait to get back. I've taken two of my biological children as eight-year-olds to a third-world country, and I would do it again tomorrow. Um, so it was just, that part was just God just really saying, hey, I've got more for you than you can imagine here. So throughout that process, though, I'm still changing diapers and teaching kids and coming to mops and still, like, living my daily life and just kind of waiting to see how this is going to unfold and 
kind of wondering sometimes, is it, I mean, are we really going to bring home another child? Like, you know, maybe we were just supposed to say yes, and then that was it. You know, you kind of have those thoughts. Everybody does, I think. <laughs> and also had times of just discouragement and doubt. I mean, there were times where they talked about the country closing down. We'd invested so much, and but then we kept going back to, this is what God's called us to do. We're going to keep moving forward until we can't move forward. So... Um, I wasn't real patient, but God was patient with me. And he, um, in 2012, we traveled to Ethiopia, and we brought home a seven-year-old little girl. Some of you know her. Um, and I would like to say we followed God's leading, and it was just this beautiful, pretty picture. That was the worst year of my life. It was the hardest year of my life. My daughter now will laugh about this because she'll say, I was an angel child. And she was not. <laughs> it was the hard. I mean, it was the hardest year. But what I, I, I knew what it was like to have a newborn. I knew what it was like to get up with the baby. But I didn't know what it was like to have a child who was too terrified to sleep for more than two hours at a time. It was a very different story than what I knew. Um, I learned what it was like to live with a child who knew loss and fear at deepest levels, and that her responses to me were always out of fear and anger because of what she'd already experienced and the loss she'd already been through. But even on my darkest days, like there were days I, I remember laying in my bed thinking, I have ruined my family. I have destroyed my life. I have destroyed the life of my other children. What have we done? But I could always go back to, this is what God called us to do. And trust me, I mean, if, if those of you know her today, that is not her today. God has redeemed that story. He has brought a lot of beauty out of it, but it was a rough year. It was a really hard year. So, go forward to 2012, and I was starting to sleep a little bit more. Things had calmed down in our house a little bit. I still had five kids, so it wasn't super calm. But it was Sunday morning, and I stayed home from church because I had a sick kid, and I was just kind of praying, holding a baby that was not feeling well, and kind of started thinking about, I think we should adopt again. <laughs> And we, we, at this point, we'd had the conversation. We will do this again in the future. We don't want our child from, you know, we want her to have somebody else in the family who looks like her. This was a conversation we had had. And I remember thinking, you don't sign up to do this twice. Like, you, you just, people don't do that. You don't do this again. But I had an overwhelming sense of peace this time. It was not joy. It wasn't excitement, but it was peace. And that same night... Nick brought it up to me. I didn't bring it up to him this time. He's like, I think we need to look, look at adopting again. I think it's time, which was the comfort. I mean, at this point, God had to drop it in my lap because I wasn't going to chase after it. And that kind of was where I was at. He's going to have to, if I'm willing to say yes, but he's going to have to do the work because I just don't have it in me to, right now. And within a couple weeks' time, somebody from, again, it was just an acquaintance that I had met through the adoption world said, hey, there's this little boy who's on a waiting list at the agency I adopted with, not the agency I had adopted with. And she said, I don't know what she's supposed to do with this, maybe nothing, but I feel like I'm supposed to tell you about him. Two weeks after we have a conversation about adopting again. So we talked about it and we're like, hey, we should probably at least follow up on that. That's, you know, that's the only time in my life somebody said to me, I see this child who's needing at home, I feel like I should tell you about him. So we thought, we'll follow up on that. So I called the agency. And she very quickly, the lady on the phone, I started to explain to her that I had five kids and that my youngest was, I don't remember exactly how old he would have been then, three. And this little boy was six, five or six at the time. 
and she said, we don't allow people to adopt out of birth order. So she very quickly shut me off. And I kind of was like relieved. Okay, that, this wasn't it. And so I just was talking to the lady on the phone. I asked her where he was from. I said, is he from Gambella? He, this is the area of Ethiopia. I said, he looks like he is from Gambella. And she said, how did you know that? And I said, I didn't know that. I, my daughter is from that area. And he just looks like he's from Gambella. She said, he is. So ended up that my daughter, Cabana, and this boy had been in the same orphanage. Not at the same time, but they had been in the very same orphanage. So she gets very quiet on the phone and says, I can't give you permission, but I believe this is your son. And I was like, oh, I was just calling for information. So um, she talked to who she needed to talk to. I had our social worker talk to who they needed to talk to. And we quickly moved forward with the process to bring him home. And he, Natty came home to our family less than a year later, which is really, really crazy fast in international adoption. So, and I didn't have to, I mean, I had to do the work, I had to do the paperwork, I had to fill it out, but I didn't have to do the work. It was just door after door after door opened. And like I said, that was what I needed at that time because I was just exhausted. So throughout this time, I'm really beginning to learn more and more and see firsthand how adoption impacts kids. And I became more and more convicted that poverty should never be a reason why a child is placed for adoption. So it's just this heart for families, for moms being able to care for their kids if they want to care for their kids and if they're healthy enough to care for their kids. So God's continuing to grow that in me, and I, I have no idea where that's going to go in the future. So by March 2016, we were, my son came home, and he was the easiest. He, he was the easiest child ever. I laugh and say if I would have had him first, when people talked about hard adoption stories, I would have been like, I'm really good at this. Like, <laughs> you should see, we're doing great. But I knew it had nothing to do with me. It was just his personality. So he was a super easy transition, but he still has some deep loss and deep pain. He just reacted to it differently. Um, so throughout the time, I, was very, I still am very involved in um, programs in Ethiopia that help moms stay with their kids. That's, been, that's always been important to me. But this is also on your sheet. Throughout this time, this verse kept popping up, a verse I probably had never really paid attention to in the Bible. I may have read it, but it never stood out. And it says it's in Jeremiah 29. It says, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says to those, says to those who I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Here's the part. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number. Do not decrease. Also seek peace and prosperity of the city in which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, and because if it prospers, you too will prosper. And I remember reading that, and it kept coming up in different situations. You know when God does that, you're like, I need to pay attention. Thinking, this, these were his instructions to the exiles. These were people who were taken from their home, and God's telling them to work for the prosperity and for the peace of a country where they're captives. Like, how much more should we be doing that in a city where we want to live, where we chose to live? So this, this verse is kind of running in my background. And I kind of feel like there's something there, but I don't know what it is. So some of you have heard this story. Becca's heard this story. I was in Tulsa visiting a friend who was on staff at a large church. And she mentioned she went to share with me about Care Portal. And she thought it would be something I'd really love. 
So she began sharing how her church and many other churches in the Tulsa area were partnering with Children's Division to meet the needs of children and families. And I was definitely interested. It sounded good. I liked it. But I can promise you that day I could never, ever really imagine what would happen after that conversation. She shared more, and I was, like I said, very intrigued. And I made the comment that I would like to learn more. I kind of laugh now and say that was like those words that I didn't know what they would come to. So I was driving home from Tulsa, and I guess she had made some connections. And I had a phone call from a guy named Tate Williams, who at that time was the Missouri State Director of Care Portal. Tate and I began to have regular conversations about Care Portal, and he was explaining to me the heart of the organization. And he's really spent a lot of time going over what they believed and what they stood for and why they did what they did. And everything he said just really resonated with me. It was where I was at. He was talking about the church stepping up to care for not only vulnerable children, but for their families as well. And that's, you know, that's why I said my, I just really had had that burden for moms. That the church would actively walk alongside families by meeting physical needs, but they'd also, in that process of that, be able to share Jesus. And that they were working to make communities a better place. And I remember when he, I don't remember exactly his words, but he said that about, the church making the community better, and just that verse. I was like, oh, this is where that verse was going. This was what it meant for me. So I had a dream to see Care Portal in southeast Missouri, but I don't know at that time I was super dedicated to acting on it. But I didn't know if it was something I was even qualified to figure out how to do. I'd never started something big like that. I didn't really have time to do that. But God kept opening doors, I mean, literally, one thing that Tate mentioned in one of our conversations, he said that when Care Portal launched in a new area, children's division was usually the biggest obstacle. He said children's division, historically across the country, did not have a good relationship with the church. They didn't trust the church to be helpful. They had not seen the church to be helpful. So I'm kind of naive, and I just called children's division and said, hey, can I come meet with you? Let's just see where you guys are at on this. And I... This is the funny part. I thought I was having a meeting with one person that I kind of knew. So I brought three of my kids with me because I had basketball practice later. And I get there and it turns out like this big board meeting of like 15 people and I'm bringing in my three kids. So, I mean, this is how I did it. It wasn't like you know, I was really good at it. <laughs> so I show up and I start to share Care Portal and they stop me. And they said, we've already been approved. Our, the person, the regional manager of this area has given permission for all of our counties to participate. We're just waiting for somebody to do it. And that was that moment where I just knew that God was saying, this, this is what I've asked you to do. This isn't just something you think is neat. This is my dream. This is my plan. So I, that was my motivation to keep moving forward. And today, Care Portal is active. It's running. We're in five counties in southeast Missouri. I get to see every week. I mean, I, this is, I don't do this perfectly at all. There are times where I sit outside of a home and just pray, I have no answers today, but God, I know you do. Show me what to do, because I've got nothing when I walk in this door into this situation. But I'm getting to see moms who are hurting and families that are being put back together as moms learn what it means to parent. And I'm getting to see kids and moms come to know Jesus simply because somebody from a church showed up with a physical item and then cared enough to keep showing up again and again. Um, so that's what I, when I think about how I found my fire, what I think excites me the first and foremost is families and children, like I said, and I have that deep desire for moms and dads to know Jesus, to be healthy, and to care for their kids. And I know that that's possible. 
In, in the book Experiencing God by Henry Bockaby, he makes the statement, we don't choose what we will do for God. He invites us to choose him where he wants to involve us, to join him where he wants to involve us. And he also says, the truth, that God can do, the truth is that God can do anything he pleases through an ordinary person who is fully dedicated to him, which goes back to my verse. That's all he's asking is to have a heart that's dedicated to him. So I was in a group Bible study a couple of years ago with Meredith Ogburn was leading it. And I put that Kingdom's Edge magazine, I listed that as a resource. That's an online magazine on Facebook where there's some pretty cool local women who are following God in the way that he's leading them. Meredith is hosting a quiet retreat tonight where we have over 70 moms with a waiting list of 22 signed up to get together in Cape Girardeau to spend time, spending time with God to find out what he has for them. This was a dream of hers three years ago. I'm getting to watch it become reality. She shares on that Kingdom's Edge. Um, Amanda Flynn is a local author, writer, because God's told her she's going to be an author and a writer, and she's getting to share, and they do a cre- incredible job. So that is a great resource of just surrounding yourself with women who are just following God and doing things outside of their comfort zone. Uh, but one of the assignments in this book was to list, to spend time listing spiritual markers in your life. And I was like, well, what's a spiritual marker in my life? You know, but what he said, what that meant big things that stood out to you about your um, story, uh, times where you knew God was leading you. And honestly, my first thought was, I'm probably going to skip that. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> I don't. But I kind of felt God nudging, you need to do this one. So I spent some time that week, and I sat down, and I looked at my list, and it looked a lot like the story I just shared. My childhood was characterized by moving around. I learned to interact with a large variety of people. And I gained a lot of life skills. The degree I have, that wasn't me. That was God. I didn't even know it existed. I didn't know that I was going to use that degree to teach language to two kids who didn't know language who were going to be my son and daughter. That was what that degree was for. Yes, I loved teaching in public schools, but I needed that information so I could teach language to my kids who came home not knowing the English. Um, Beginning the adoption process at a time where it seemed extremely crazy. Like I said, if I hadn't done it at that time, I would have missed it. I I think I would have missed it. Learning about trauma, learning about loss, and just beginning to learn what it looks like for kids to have to walk through that put me in a place where I was receptive to Care Portal when I heard about it. So I couldn't see it in the moments, but looking back, I can see how God was weaving those events together in a way that was going to be used for him. So the good news that I have for you this morning is that I didn't really find my passion. God slowly guided and changed my heart so that I desired his will and that his will became my delight. And all I have to do and all I have to do every day is have a heart that's committed to him and seeking after him, and he is faithful to do the rest. He's going to put you in places and in situations where he wants you to be that will be used for his glory. Um, So that's what I have for you today. That's my story, and if you want to know anything else about adoption or care portal, I'll be glad to share.